Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. January 17th, 2018 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And here we discuss news, politics, and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff. And actually, as I'm listening to my voice right now, it doesn't sound too bad. I do have a cold. So at certain points, you might hear my voice falter a little bit. How's the sound for everyone out there on Facebook through Blog Talk should be fine. I was not able to get the blog talk sound successfully into this today. I can do a little bit of a test. Let me try a test for a second, you guys. And if I plug it in and there's all kinds of horrible noise, you'll have to excuse it. I got a cord that I was told was supposed to do the trick. And there, there I am. And there's a lot of delay. So I don't think it's going to work. Nah, sorry, guys. Okay. How's the sound otherwise? Sound is good? Okay. I'm going to use that iPhone microphone for another week. And I'm hoping to fix this next week because I'm supposed to have an interview with a doctor who's going to call in to blog talk next week. And of course, it's not any good if you can't hear him speak. So we'll try to get that fixed before I'll have to talk with your own and, and see what he does. I thought I had found the perfect cord. There's two different kinds. There's a TRRS cord and I thought I had it. It has a delay. So I don't know how to handle that exactly. Uh, it's like it's feeding it back in and out both or something. I don't, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's feeding it the wrong way. There's one other thing I can look at. Let me look. Okay, it's got it on two ends. I'll, I'll try one more thing. Sorry, my brain. Anyway, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. I signed us up for only an hour today because I had anticipated I was going to be on Tucker Carlson's show later. He unfortunately bumped me. I got a, an email from the producer just a short time before the show started, and they have bumped me due to news flow. I'm not sure what news they thought was more important than the discussion I was going to have with Tucker today, but I'm hoping that they will reschedule. I'm really eager to have the conversation that they scheduled with me. This particular topic is an important topic, and I already, as I was walking around, you know, I do a little walk often in the mornings before a show, and I was you know, kind of split focus, both this show and then, of course, thinking what argument I'm going to use for Tucker later, how to, you know, you always want to have the good opening salvo. And I thought I had the perfect one. So I hope he's going to reschedule me and uh, I'm looking forward to it. If we do, if you go to my blog right now, you'll see this interesting title that I put together, FISA Body Measurements and a Bigger Nuclear Button This Week in Spamocracy. And what do I mean by spamocracy? It's going to become clear as we continue out through the show. Um, so, yeah, like I said, go to the blog if you want a little hint in the program notes. Don'tletitgo.com is where you can find those. At the top of the program notes, I have a link to my new website. It's 
a copywriting business that I'm starting called Good Copy. And of course, there's nothing like starting a copywriting business to make you self-conscious about every single thing you say and post on social media. So if I sound a little bit stilted today as I'm trying to pronounce things or come up with the right word on the show, I'm trying to use the correct grammar and everything it's because of that. I'm going to become more self-conscious about this. Of course, I love it. I got, you know, a copywriter's handbook, excuse me, copy editor's handbook. See, I'm saying copywriter instead of copy editor. I have to correct myself already. Um, a copy editor's handbook. And at the beginning, it says, don't expect yourself to be completely error-free. And then there are certain, like, four different commandments, you know, don't lose the manuscript and things like this that you must not do. But yes, copy editors make errors too, so I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try not to be too self-conscious about it. Check out the business if you need any copy editing, consulting on your writing projects, maybe even collaboration. That's what I'm gonna be there for. I think that this type of business is gonna be the perfect complement to my other activities. Talking to you guys here, hopefully appearing more on Tucker's show and, and doing other things to promote individualist ideas ideas of, of freedom. This is what I'd like to do is come up with the whole thing. Um, in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, Jean says, yeah, she sees the live stream and stuff like that. It seems like that's working fine. That doesn't seem like it's a problem. The problem I'm having is getting the sound in there. So what I may do is I may end up trying feeding it through an iPad. I've got different thoughts about what to try next time. I'm going to have to do a test though, because like I said, next week I've got an interview scheduled. I've got a doctor and I've talked about this doctor before he has a blog called hormones demystified and I had been intending to have him scheduled as an interview for quite a while and then we just reconnected again recently and I've scheduled it for next Wednesday and that'll be a lot of fun because this doctor is thinking um, very deliberately as another doctor that I uh, actually had coffee with last week and I'll I'll tell you about that too but uh, thinking very deliberately about how you and I will sort through all of the information and misinformation about medical conditions out there on the web. So I think you will enjoy it when that eventually happens. So um, I hope you do. Yeah, the, the video looks like it's doing well. John is over there. Hi, John, watching the live stream over on Facebook. So I'll try to watch as much as I can, uh, you know, both the comments over here at blog talk radio and over here at the live stream at Facebook. If you do want to call in at blog talk radio, I can handle the phone calls because what I'll do is I'll do exactly the same thing that I do. If I'm giving a talk in a room where all of the audience cannot hear the question that I'm being given by, you know, some member of the audience, you repeat the question. So I will give the synopsis of a question or a comment. If you want to call in the number is seven six zero. 888-5817. Uh, but let's go ahead and get started. I have a few things that, you know, in terms of what I believe I uniquely offer you guys that I want to say to you, it's not a whole lot that, you know, in my view is unique. You've got your own giving you news briefings every day and things like that. So, you know, where do I have something that I think is just a little bit different perspective? This spamocracy theme, of course, is fun. And I'll, I'll talk about what I mean by that as we go through First story is the renewal of FISA Section 702. In brief, what FISA Section 702 does is it allows NSA, et cetera, to engage in surveillance of supposedly foreign targets. But if you've been watching this story and reading the, you know, all the things that are out there in the media about this, you probably know that even though supposedly they are putatively targeting foreigners, they always incidentally collect data about Americans. And there are not strict rules at all about retaining this data. All of this data is collected without a warrant. There's no probable cause. There's no particularized suspicion. And it turns out that the House voted to renew this FISA power, this 702 power, you know, this is all the reason that Snowden was doing what he was doing, and they're just renewing it for six years. They're not changing it. Justin Amash and the House Freedom Caucus, some of the better politicians, were putting forth uh, amendments to this that they wanted to have voted on and all rejected and everything. So they're just going to extend 
extend, and this is the way I talk about it, extend the march to 1984 for another six years. The House already passed it. The Senate has last night passed a crucial hurdle to itself also passing this renewal. Uh, they were going to, you know, some of the senators were trying to have a filibuster, Senator Rand Paul among them. But it turned out that there are 60 senators in this country who have no problem with that march to 1984. And so they went ahead and, you know, they had a cloture vote and they cut off the debate and everything else. And they're going to have a full vote on it. I don't know exactly when that full vote is scheduled, but quite soon. And it is widely expected to pass. So what you see in the program notes is uh, first a couple things I put in there just for the hell of it, there's a Fox op-ed that was, uh, you know, when I did a Google search looking to see what the news was about this, a Fox op-ed popped up. And some Fox writer, I don't know who it is, said, the Senate should reauthorize FISA Section 702 this week to fight terror at home and around the world. Yeah, it's supposedly security. Security is the thing that makes it, you know, justifiable for the government to collect all this data about you without a warrant, without any probable cause, without any particularized suspicion, FISA Section 702 is going to allow the government to keep collecting data about you on the pretext that it's really about these foreign targets that you shouldn't care about. Now, you might think that a government that's premised on the principle of individual rights would have some protections for foreigners, too, but there's so many people in this country who don't even think that foreigners are human beings. I mean, certainly they don't have a right to immigrate here or anything else. So you're not supposed to care that it's about foreigners. It's just about foreigners and it's about security and it's about fighting terror, not about the rights of individuals at home, not about, you know, collecting all of this data about you that the government can do all sorts of things with, as we saw with the Obama administration, right? So what's the answer? I again put in the program notes a link to the op-ed that I wrote recently right around the time that the Supreme Court was hearing the U.S. versus Carpenter case. It was scheduled for October. I think they heard it in early November. And a decision, I guess, should come pretty soon on that. The Supreme Court, given this renewal of FISA, I'm sure Trump is going to sign it. looks like the Senate's going to pass it. The Supreme Court is the only one that can do something significant to stop this because of this arcane sounding thing called the third party doctrine. You know, uh, I've been talking a little bit with Tucker's producer about this, and he said something about, well, people don't know what this doctrine is and they can't really understand it. And it tied in that, you know, exchange tied in for me with something that Rand had talked about in one of the quotations that I've got through the Ayn Rand bot, where she was saying that the most frustrating thing that she dealt with in her career was not the leftists, but the people saying, well, look, the public doesn't think, you know, the stuff that you're doing is too intellectual. And I write back to Tucker's producer and I say, look, this is the doctrine that makes purports to make all of this constitutional This FISA Section 702, insofar as it's collecting data about Americans at least, it is legal only because of this third-party doctrine. It's constitutional only because of the third-party doctrine. If they could get rid of that doctrine, if they could scale it back to pre, um, what they call Smith and Miller, these cases from the 1970s, if they could scale it back, then we could stop all this mess. Uh, I'm going to give you the brief explanation as to why, and I guarantee you are smart enough to understand this. This is a doctrine of constitutional jurisprudence, and that means that this is a doctrine, a legal doctrine, that sprung out of the Supreme Court listening to privacy cases. And this is from decades ago. This doctrine came about in the 1920s-ish. And what it says is when you share information with a third party, you no longer have a reasonable expectation of privacy in it. Reasonable expectation of privacy is just this catchphrase that the court developed over the years to indicate when something that the government does is a search. So 
when the court says you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy in something, what it means is, is that if the government obtains that thing, it is not a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. And I'm pretty sure everybody knows what the Fourth Amendment is, right? It protects you against unreasonable searches and seizures of your person's houses, papers, and effects. Uh, it requires that you've got a warrant based on probable cause and particularized suspicion for a search to be reasonable. And what this third-party doctrine does, again, it's not anything that's in legal code. It wasn't enacted by Congress. It's not in the Constitution, but it is a doctrine of constitutional law that was developed by the courts over the years. And that doctrine purports to make this legal. Why? Because it removes from the protection of the Fourth Amendment anything that you share with a third party. So, keeping that in mind, that any data that you share with a third party, it's no longer uh, you know, protected by the Fourth Amendment because of this doctrine that the Supreme Court has the power to do something about. Think of that. Keep that in mind as I go into the next story, because the next story I talk about in the title, body measurements. You say, what in the world do you mean by body measurements? Are you talking about the bigger nuclear button, which is the last part of the title? No, no I'm talking about a separate story, Washington Post. I saw it yesterday. Companies race to gather a newly prized currency are body measurements. Now, why do companies want your body measurements? Why do they want your body measurements? They want your body measurements because they want to sell you clothes that fit you better. That's awesome. This is a great development. This is part of us seeing that human life on this planet is getting better and better all the time. I mean, you can have clothes that are going to fit you perfectly because the company is going to have your measurements and be able to crank these out in an efficient way because they have machines that can do it and things like that. So it says in the article, the first step for a shopper buying a suit at the fast growing menswear retailer Indochino is sharing his personal information. A salesperson armed with an iPad measures nearly everything on his body from the distance between his belly button and rear to the circumference of his knees. The next step is getting a customized made-to-measure suit delivered to his home within a few weeks. But his body data lives on. Company executives are hoping to build a master data model that would connect his measurements with his advertising, shopping, and spending histories, right? So what is it? You know, these companies are collecting this data in order to serve you better, sell you more stuff, they want your money. And this is fine with me. I don't have a problem. Some people have a problem with this. And yeah, you go around social media, it's a little bit eerie when you see that ad that's tailored exactly to you because, you know, of all this tracking stuff that follows you places. But, um, you know, I have a problem with that. Where I have a problem is this retailer, this Indochino, is now in the court's language, a third party. You are sharing this information. You know, who, who are the first two parties, right? The first two parties are you and the government. And so this retailer is a third party. And they say, well, once you share information with this third party, then you don't have an expectation of privacy. The court can grab it. I mean, excuse me, the, the government can grab it without a warrant. No probable cause, no particularized suspicion for the court to get that information now about your body measurements. So it's just another piece of information that comes under the third party doctrine that is going to allow the government when they combine all the different databases that they collect about you, because of course they're protecting you, right? That's why they collect all this information is because they want to protect you from evil creditors or unscrupulous sales tactics or whatever it is they are going to have as their pretext for collecting these databases of information. You know, you've got the consumer protection, whatever over here and the FCC collecting over here and this one collecting over there. And then Trump, one day he decides to pull out the pen and the phone and the, I guess his Twitter, right? Uh, he, he tweets too, right? Um, gets an executive order going and then suddenly all these databases are combined and the government has all this information. So it's just another piece of wonderful information that they can get about you. Another piece of information that would come under this third-party doctrine. 
uh, some people, as I said, they're just as concerned about corporations getting this information as they are about the government. But the thing you need to think about is that the corporation has access only to the information that it collects or that it buys, you know, from other retailers, for example. And it doesn't have the power to compel the production of this data from various companies, all its competitors and people in completely different markets and everything else that might have some cross-pollination response. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Amazon, of course, has a whole bunch of data about everybody because they sell such a wide range of products. But this Indochino, they're just going to know what your body measurements are insofar as it's relevant to make you the perfect suit. So, um, you know, each retailer, it might collect a certain amount on you. It wants to sell you something. Only the government has the power to compel the production of data and collect it under all these different alphabet soup agencies, these regulatory agencies, and then combine those databases into one huge master database that virtually tracks you 24 7 365 corporations cannot do that, at least not yet, right? That's not where we're at with corporations. You could say, well, Facebook tracks a lot of us, but only insofar as you keep participating and, and keep sharing there. So it's a, it's a different world. Um, I had a caller over at Blog Talk, and the caller gave up, so I'm sorry about that. If you want to call back in, and I'll, I'll go ahead and try to take the call. But so now you've got, from my title, the um, – FISA and the body measurements, and now what am I talking about with the bigger nuclear button? And it's this, and this is where the inspiration for the spam title came in, because what has happened is the Pentagon has put together a report, and they're suggesting broadening our country's nuclear strategy. It would permit the use of nuclear weapons in a situation that it hadn't, that we hadn't before. Uh, it says, and this is a New York Times article that I got, Pentagon suggests countering devastating cyber attacks with nuclear arms. A newly drafted United States nuclear strategy that has been sent to President Trump for approval would permit the use of nuclear weapons to respond to a wide range of devastating but non-nuclear attacks on American infrastructure, including what current and former government officials described as the most crippling kind of cyber attacks. So, you know, they're going to go to Trump and say, hey, would you like to have the ability to use nuclear weapons in a wider range of situations, including very crippling cyber attacks and other attacks to crucial American infrastructure? And probably he'll say yes. But the thing that came to mind, right, because he's talked on Twitter about how he's got this big nuclear button it's bigger than Kim Jong-un and everything, right? So if you remember, I don't even know if people get spam very much anymore because the spam filters are so good. But so my joke about this, which very few people got, I'm sorry, I had, you know, I have my weird sense of humor, but it was, you know, Pentagon to Trump increase the size of your nuclear button, you know, in quotes. Like you can imagine they're sending spam to Trump, you know, with the header, increase the size of, of your nuclear button. So is it exactly the size, but not exactly, but insofar as there doesn't even really exist a, a nuclear button, you may as well say that this increases the size of the nuclear button. Why? Because it increases the various types of circumstances in which he would be authorized to use nuclear weapons so he could say yeah now the nuclear button is even bigger because the policy has enabled the use of, of nuclear weapons in a lot more situations so that was the first um you know use meaning connotation of spam that i was thinking of in connection with the title for today but there is there there are a couple other kinds there's a there's one more that's really the focus another one that's sort of incidental um, but yeah, if you think about this, this is, this is the spam thing. Uh, what this does bring up though, is to me, this story suggested a little bit of a contradiction that our government likes to, to sit with. And it's this, right? They're, they're recognizing that cyber attacks 
can be so devastating that it warrants a nuclear response of some kind. That, you know, mere hacking into computer systems and messing with data is a serious matter, something that justifies the use of force. So that's on the one hand, right? This recognition that data and data systems count. And then on the other hand, what are they doing in the Senate right now? They are renewing Section 702 of FISA and saying, oh, you know, Americans, you really shouldn't worry about the fact that the government is collecting all this data about you without a warrant, no probable cause, no particular suspicion. You shouldn't worry about that. I mean, it's just it's just data. And I mean, you've got nothing to hide after all, right? You don't have anything. To, you're not doing anything wrong. I'm sure you're not doing anything wrong. So there's this contradiction there in the sense of, on the one hand, our government is recognizing that there can be a violation of the rights of Americans, an attack on Americans that is an attack only on our data systems. But then when it comes to individual Americans and the data that we share with the third parties, oh, all your data are belong to us, says the government. And that's a little language I used in the op-ed I wrote for the objective standard. Chris in the chat or in the comment section over at Blog Talk says, there's still a ton of spam going around. Filters have gotten really good. He says, I've got one account without any ISP level filtering. It's uh, unusable. It gets so much spam. Okay, so there's still a lot. Uh, John in the chat room about Trump's tweets says, I wonder if Trump's tweets always meet Twitter's community standards. Other people have pointed that out. They've said that if you and I tweeted some of the things that Trump said that we might get reported and that we might be suspended from Twitter for, you know, at least temporarily or something. William um, over here in in Facebook as well, he says, whether uh, he says, whenever, excuse me, whenever the word doctrine follows a phrase, you know, there's a black robed bureaucrat behind it who is attempting to place that policy practice or assertion beyond criticism. Um, you know, this particular doctrine, when it first started out, it was well-intentioned, this third-party doctrine, because it essentially enabled government agents to infiltrate, you know, organized crime organizations and things like that. And so um, I think it was based on, and I've talked about this, so I'm going to let you go look at my writings to see this, but I think it's on, it's based on an implicit understanding of the common law of contract, actually. And so if I'm talking with Tony Soprano about some job he wants to pull off or a hit or something else, something criminal that he wants to do, and we're, you know, discussing some agreement about what role I'm going to play in this criminal scheme, the agreement that we have is what in the common law would be called an illegal contract. And accordingly, it would be unenforceable at common law. If you have a contract that the predominant focus and purpose of that contract is to carry out an illegal end, an end that would violate someone's rights, that contract would be unenforceable at common law. You try to go to court and enforce this, no way. Um, and of course, this is why when we've got drugs elite, you know, drugs illegal in our country, nobody's of course is going to go to court to enforce a drug deal. So they're using guns on the streets and there's all this violence, right? It's not enforceable in a court of law. And my point is, is that you never needed this third party doctrine because insofar as Tony Soprano and I have an agreement to keep our discussion secret that's part of our overall contract, and that whole contract is unenforceable. So any agreement we made, you know, oh, let's keep this secret, totally unenforceable because the overall purpose of our agreement is illegal. So that's the, you know, the the gist on that. Um, okay, I think I got the comments. I'm caught up on the comments over here. In the chat room, Blog Talk Radio, not so much going on. I do have someone hanging on the line over at Blog Talk. If you did want to ask a question or make a comment, you can go ahead and press the one key and I will pick it up. I'll try to be better about that. I've still got a half hour even on my shortened show and I think I'm going to do okay. So spam, right? 
there's a couple other senses of, of spam, and, and one of them is just sort of an aside, and I don't have any real stories that at least in advance while I was preparing for the show, any stories that were linking to this connotation of spam. And it's this, that people like us who are aware of the fact that our government is violating our rights all the time, we almost feel like we're spammed, that we're deluged daily with the latest news of how government is violating your rights. And you could spend your entire day outraged about the latest incursion on your rights, the latest threat of an incursion on your rights by the government. There's so much coming in that it does. It feels like spam. It feels just like all this junk mail coming in, but it's, of course it's worse because each of them represents a rights violation. Um, so that's the other sense of spam. The other sense, you know, the kind of the third sense of spam. So the first is just the inspiration. You know, here's the Pentagon sending this little missive to Trump saying, increase the size of your nuclear button. So that was that was the inspiration, the initial inspiration. But then the real meaning that I wanted to bring to this is embodied in the term spamocracy, which I coined for the title today. And it's a mixed economy government or, you know, a government that's got some elements of freedom and some elements of control, some places where the government is protecting your rights, some places where the government is violating them. And so you can think of spam, this mystery food that some people really like and I haven't eaten in forever. I guess it was sort of tasty at a time. Um, they talk about it's it's made of ham, right? So you could say, well, our government is supposed to be made of stuff that protects our rights, but there's this other, you know, impure things mixed in. And um, yeah, so that's the spam, spamocracy, that we have this government that um, is imperfectly protecting our rights, that it, does, it doesn't do that. Okay, you guys, I have a cold and now I've got evidence of it. I'm sorry about this. I have to do this. Okay. Katy Perry did this on camera. She wiped her nose a little because she was crying on camera. I don't know if you guys saw this. When she was um, debuting her album, she um, did this whole like nonstop. She wasn't really on the camera 24-7, but most of the day she was on camera. And that takes a lot of bravery. And then she, you know, featured different things. So you could see her, I guess, doing her workouts. And then somebody would be giving her diet advice and they'd be doing cooking in the kitchen. And so one of the sessions was she's talking with a psychologist and she of course starts crying and she's like me. She has a nose ring. I had it first. I had it decades ago. So sorry, Katie, it wasn't you, but you know, so she's sitting there also on camera. It's like, Oh, you've got to wipe your nose on camera. So I'm going to do that. I'm sorry, you guys. I do have this cold. You probably can't hear it that much. When I woke up this morning, my voice was just squeaky. It was very little voice. And so I'm glad it's back. Um, but I am sorry about that. So that's undignified, isn't it? Uh, Peter in the chat room, or not the chat room, but the comments over at Blog Talk, he says, aren't you conflating criminal law with contract enforcement? Okay, right. So now I've got to get even deeper with my model of privacy law. My model of privacy law is that privacy is protected primarily through property and contract. And increasingly in today's world, our privacy is protected by contracts, by contractual arrangements that we make with all of these third parties that we share our information with. So, you know, you contract to buy a suit from Indochino and part of it is that they have this data about your body measurements. And I'm sure there's some sort of privacy agreement about that. They're not going to share your body measurements with other people without your permission or unless mandated by law. And it's the unless mandated by law that I have a, a problem with. So my view is that the government should not be able to invade anything that's protecting your privacy, which is your property, your house and everything, or, all of these various data bases that are, you know, collected with a third party, our phones or whatever, without a warrant. And the Supreme Court has already gone so far as to recognize that in our phones, 
is more personal information about us than if you were to go around, you know, somebody's entire house and, you know, search everything that you would find more information about a person by looking through their phone. So why not protect that accordingly? And so much of what's on our phones and in our computers and stuff is protected by this contractual arrangement. So that's my answer to that. I do have the caller. I'm going to go ahead and try and take it. I'm sorry you guys aren't going to be able to hear it. I'm wondering what I could do. Could I put you guys into the headphone or something? I don't know. We'll see. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Yeah, this is Naj. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Naj. What can I do for you? Yeah, well, I think you're bringing up some important things. Uh, the Pfizer thing, uh, we, we get to see all of a sudden bipartisan agreement on something that's really, really important. And, you know, it goes to that Franklin quote, and you just start to wonder when you see stuff like this. Uh, we saw Trump uh, quoting, I think it was Judge, uh, I can't think of the judge's name that's on television, but, you know, Trump was against it, and then I guess Kelly and those to him, and then he started championing it. So, you know, that got a little weird. But, so, wait, was um, was was uh, Trump? Speaking, was Trump speaking to Napolitano, and that's what made him against it? Was it Judge Napolitano? Uh, no, he was forced at the time. I guess he was watching the show, and he was tweeting about it. And then later on that day, he started tweeting the opposite way, saying we need Hello, are you there? Oh, you got disconnected. And I wonder if I got disconnected. Are people still hearing me, or did I get cut off? How am I doing over here at Blog Talk? I see myself. This caller got disconnected, and I'm not sure why. Okay, well, if you want to call back in and let me know what the question was. He was just talking a little bit at first about FISA and everything else, but let's see what I got here. Let's see. Okay. I am on blog talk. Okay, says John. That's great. Sound is okay. Everyone says it's good. So it must have just been the caller that got caught off. After last week, I was concerned about being disconnected again. Okay, so let me run back over to the program notes because what I've got is a set of notes talking about this issue of, of spam, you know, that we're trying to mix in our government some elements that protect our rights and some elements that don't. The first is privacy related and it has to do with the Google art selfies that a lot of people have gotten into this week. I actually put some out there that I went ahead and used the Google arts and culture app. The app says that it does not retain your images longer than is necessary to search and come up with a match for you. Take them at their word. Don't take them at their word. I don't know. I went ahead and did it. And in fact, I tried a bunch of different angles to see, and I had to work to get the, this one kept coming up, but it would give me, you know, 43% match or something. And that doesn't really seem like a good doppelganger that it's only 43%. So I tried different angles and it was funny. I smiled in one of them and then it gave me 50%. So I was thinking they wanted me to smile. And then finally they'll give me a match that at least numerically looks better for what it was worth. But this, app, those of you who live in Illinois cannot avail yourself of this little bit of fun, seeing whether you resemble a great work of art that's on display in an art gallery and, and in Google's database. Why can't you do it? It says it's one of two in the country. Illinois is one of two in the country where Google Apps art selfie feature, which matches users uploaded selfies with portraits or faces depicted in works of art, is not available. Google won't say why, but it's likely because Illinois has one of the nation's most strict laws on the use of biometrics, which include facial, fingerprint, and iris scans. Quote, they're being overly cautious by keeping the feature out of Illinois, says Christopher Dorr, a partner at the Chicago law firm Edelson, which has brought biometric suits against tech companies, including Facebook. So they think that that's why and I put it in the spam element because on the one hand, here's the state of Illinois purporting to protect your privacy and not let you even have access to 
the art selfie feature that Google has in its app. Uh, and then on the other hand, we've still got this third-party doctrine. We've got legislators and Congress renewing FISA and Section 702 that the government can still go get all this information. So you're not even allowed to share your information with Google in order to have some fun, but the government can still grab it basically when it wants, whenever legislators deem okay, right? Because once it's not under the Fourth Amendment, it's all at the mercy of legislators, as we're seeing this week. They're just renewing the FISA and the, and the Section 702. So that's a little bit of spam. Here's another bit of spam, spamocracy. You may know that the government shutdown is looming because there's a failure to reach agreement on immigration and, and other issues. And they, the Republicans are trying to get the Democrats to agree to a stopgap funding measure. Headline over at New York Times tells us that the, the GOP, the party that purports to be the party of smaller government, is using a particular type of bargaining chip to get the Democrats to sign on. What is it? Long-term funding of children's health insurance, the so-called CHIP program is what I understand it is. Reading from the article, with little hope of an immigration agreement this week, Republicans in Congress are looking to head off a government shutdown this weekend by pairing another stopgap spending measure with long-term funding for the popular children's health insurance program, daring Democrats to vote no. Yeah, so how do we get spamocracy? How do we get this government that, you know, supposedly is, you know, predominantly protecting our rights, but really has all these different rights violations mixed in. We get it a lot of times because of Republicans doing stuff like this in order to have a compromise. And I mean, how are you and I supposed to object to this? Because after all, it's for children. How can you be against providing health care for children? You know, never mind the fact that it's being provided because some people are being compelled to pay for it against their will and everything else, but no, 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 you know. So this is what the GOP is doing. That's their tactic to get the Democrats to fund the government just a little bit longer. Why? Because they can't seem to broker an agreement on immigration. Immigration is a topic that we talked to death on this show. And even though I have talked about it a number of times. There's people out, out on Twitter who will still misrepresent the, my view on immigration and everything else because I'm just completely open borders, right? I'm not. I believe in screening at the borders, a screening based on the protection of individual rights of Americans. Nonetheless, you know, you still go out there and, and Trump is talking about immigration on Twitter all the time. And I had to tweet back to him this week. Let me go ahead and see if I can get my tweet because it's got his full his full tweet. So Trump says, I as president want people coming into our country who are going to help us become strong and great again. People coming in through a system based on merit, no more lotteries. America first, he writes. Now listen to the language, right? Because he says, I as president want. Want. Does it matter what he wants? versus, say, what he believes is consonant with our founding principles, that is consistent with the principle of individual rights, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, a country that's based on the individual rights should have X immigration policy. No, no, no. It's just, I, as president, want this. That is typical, and I've talked about this in the past, pragmatist language of demand. As James wrote, the pragmatist says that the good is that which satisfies, satisfies demand. Demand, whatever demand is. And it can be, it's in the word of James. James said the demand can be for anything under the sun. And then what do you try to do if you are in a position of government where you are taking jurisdiction over a whole bunch of people? You try to satisfy as many demands as possible. But of course, his demand is going to count more what he wants on behalf of his base, I guess, is, is supposed to be key. So that's what he tweets out. And I just, you know, give you a sample of what I try to do on Twitter sometimes out there. Those of you who fund me through supporting this show or supporting me through Patreon, thank you. One of the things I try to do 
is keep being defiant in the face of Trump, who I think sometimes does basically, um, you know, constitute an overbearing authority. He postures, you know, he's going to impose the immigration policy on us that he wants. It's that he wants this. So I say this, I say, there are a lot of things we want that would violate people's rights if we were to impose them. Sure, get rid of the lotteries and get rid of the welfare magnet and stop subsidizing refugees. Note that he hasn't done that. But then let people in unless they pose a security risk. That's the American way. That got quite a bit of attention thanks to, in part, a retweet from Yaron. I was proud of that. Um, So... Anyway, yeah, I do, I do those. I don't tweet to Trump every day, but sometimes I feel like I've got things to say, and then I go ahead and do it. About 15 minutes left. So let me get through some of the other stories. Uh, just to let you know that Me Too is alive and well, and there are still some significant revelations coming out. Uh, Eliza Dushku, I don't know if I pronounced her name correctly, an actress, says that a stuntman assaulted her when she was 12. And as I recall, she first recounted her story through social media, and then the New York Times picked it up, and you can read her horrific story. This guy molesting a 12-year-old girl. That's horrible. The other story that's come out this week in this you know, sort of sphere where people are trying to figure out in the culture, what do we do going forward about sexual assaults and relations between men and women, you know, are we going to conclude that all men are horrible monsters because sometimes some men behave as monsters and, you know, what, what should the mores be? What should the conventions be for interactions between men and women? Aziz Ansari, I hope I've pronounced his name correctly. There's a story about him that's been circulating out there this week. I actually didn't look at all of the details. I counted on my friend David Cohen to tell me the details. In the you know kind of actual concrete things that happened, it appeared that once the woman in question was unequivocal about the fact that she wasn't into whatever was going on, and I guess they got kind of far into the date with some sexual activity before that happened, he did stop and, you know, it, it, and so the headline over at the New York Times is Aziz Ansari is guilty of not being a mind reader. And, you know, messages like women are supposed to be more, I guess, forthright about what it is that they're into and what they want and things like this. And, and so it's, I guess, her fault in a certain way. But the Washington Post gives you something else to consider. And I thought this was a, a quite interesting take on it. The headline of an opinion piece over there is the Aziz Ansari debacle, excuse me, the Aziz Ansari debacle, I'm in a hurry and so now I'm not pronouncing correctly, uh, proves it's time for a new sexual revolution. And in this author's take on it, she says that the sexual revolution in effect made everybody think that sex is just another type of human interaction and that all of the conventions that apply normally to all the typical human interactions, people just carry them over into sex because sex is just another type of interaction that you have with people. And so if you believe in, you know, having lunch with your friends or if you're on conversations and stuff that you always want to be polite and and you don't want to offend anybody. So you don't want to say, hey, this lunch is really dragging on too long and I've got to go or whatever it is um, that women have sort of carried that into their interactions with men and they're not as forthright as they could be and just say, okay, you know, I don't want this and kick the guy or whatever it is that they should do in a particular situation. And what the author is saying is that we need to go back again and recognize that sex is not just another interaction that, um, you know, you know, a bad sexual encounter could have, pretty bad effects on at least women, maybe also the men involved, that it is a big deal. Um, and so that we need to treat things accordingly. Uh, we, we need to not 
bring in politeness and all this into these interactions, you need to recognize that if there's something that you don't like in the realm of sex that's going on, that you should speak up right away, you know, maybe even use some sort of physical means of defending yourself or getting out of the particular situation. Um, Don't let yourself get into a situation because you're trying to be polite or not offend the guy or anything else. So that's an interesting thing. And, and I like the fact that the, the Me Too discussions have made people reconsider all the parameters of these interactions. It's not really clear yet what guidelines at work for interactions between men and women should be, you know, do you close doors for meetings between men and women? You keep them open. Do you have a chaperone present? You know, all the different kinds of things that could come out of this, but also thinking about, you know, was every aspect of the sexual revolution a good idea? Was it good to just have people take this attitude that sex is just like any other interaction? Cause really it's not, it's, it's so much more important than that. You know, and, particularly for women, you know, kind of by and large, you, you talk about broad brush strokes, how are men different from women, but women take it very seriously. So um, another perspective on that, maybe and sorry isn't guilty of anything super terrible, but probably of being insensitive at the very least. Uh, what else do we have? I've got about 10 minutes or so left. Let me go back and see if I'm missing big comments over here. Oh, we're talking about the next story and some of the comments that I'm getting on Facebook right now. So the next story that I have is this horrific story. Some parents of 13 children, 13 siblings actually shackled them to various pieces of furniture within their home, supposedly as part of operating a private homeschool for them. What was the name of this school? The Sandcastle Day School. And the father supposedly was some kind of scientist and qualified to homeschool kids and all this kind of stuff. And one of the kids escaped and alerted authorities. And then they came in and they find they're malnourished and they're shackled. It's horrible. So this is terrible. These are the, you know, the worst horrible people. I mean, they need to fry or something, but what's the headline over at the New York times horror for 13 California siblings hidden by veneer of a private homeschool. And I've seen the headline for this story at the New York Times morph over time. So this language, veneer of a private homeschool, has come into the latest iteration of the headlines. If you watch New York Times, they'll change their headlines throughout the day. And you can tell that they're making these editorial choices about it. Veneer of a private homeschool, it reflects some of the discussion about this case, which has been that the California legal authorities you know, the uh, police authorities and stuff have been saying, oh, well, the reason we didn't know about it is because we thought it was a homeschool and that everything was fine and that they're in effect blaming it on the fact that you can have a homeschool and have some privacy about what goes on in your homeschool. So we got to watch this space. Um, The only thing is, you know, very bad apples, people who are using the freedom to homeschool your children to abuse them in the most disgusting, horrific way. Very bad apples. And then the question is what's going to come out of this. And I'm concerned that they're going to use this as a pretext to clamp down on the right to homeschool. And, you know, people that on social media, when I've commented about this, they tend to agree that this is something that, California state government and or even federal government, yes, even under Trump, might do. And, you know, if you're a conservative, you shouldn't mind if the federal government clamps down on homeschools under Trump, because any regulation that Trump will do is consistent with your philosophy as a conservative, and you'll always be protected, even if government is taking more control over your private lives, right? No, I say, you know, freedom Freedom is risky, and a story like this 
will show you how risky it is. But if, as you know, I said the you know the headlines of the New York Times have been moving in a certain direction editorially, if they're hinting that private homeschools are somehow to blame for this, that's a problem, and that that's something that I'm I'm watching. A couple other things in the program notes. As I said, check out all the program notes. Don't let it go.com. See them there. The fake news awards. You might have remembered that Trump was tweeting about the fact that he was going to have a fake news award show and, you know, which ones had, had problems with honesty and corruption. And I forget it was something else. Corruption, of course, is vague. Honesty, there's a number of times that they'll actually catch him being dishonest. So he's the one that's going to judge everybody else's honesty. I see this as philosophically, you know, in principle, the same exact sort of thing as Obama's attack watch. Right now, it looks like the fake news, uh, the fake news awards that he was going to do, I think on January 8th, they've been postponed that we're going to hear when he's actually going to do them. And Shapiro has a, a funny quip. He says the winner of the fake news award is the fake news award because he says he's going to do it and then he doesn't do it. So it's fake news that he was going to do it. Um, just keep in mind, this is the sort of thing that Trump does that to me smacks of what Obama did with attack watch where he said, Hey, you know, why don't you report your fellow citizen for saying bad things about Obama and all of us non-leftists, we let Obama have it on Twitter and everything else. It was just a beautiful thing to watch that happen, but nobody hardly ever does that to Trump. And when I go out there on Trump, you know, on Twitter and I criticize Trump, for him clamping down on freedom of expression, whether he's doing it through the take a knee or through, you know, criticizing the media and everything else, I get hell. I get hell for it. Um, you know, Trump supporters are still legion out there and all the time they're saying, oh, well, he's not really going to do anything. There's an implicit threat there when he does this kind of stuff, just as there was with Obama's attack watch. So I went ahead and put in the program notes a link to my old blog article on attack watch just to show you I'm just being consistent in applying this principle. I'll apply it to Obama, to Trump, to whoever is next as well. I think that a president, of course, should be able to defend himself against news stories that include inaccuracies about him. Go ahead and say, so-and-so in this article said such and such, and it's wrong. The truth is really this. Yeah. If you're president, use whatever platform. But when you start getting into, you know, systematic criticism of the news and to tell, particularly it was telling news outlets, they should fire this person. Um, they, he talked about the FCC removing licenses from media outlets and things like that. This goes beyond and this goes to the level of an implicit threat like Obama. A little bit on the Russia investigation. It's hard to tell where this is going. The latest headline that I saw is that Bannon has now agreed to cooperate with the Russia investigation. The news story a couple days ago was that Bannon was, uh, excuse me, Bannon was subpoenaed in the Russia investigation. And there's a New York Times article that I put in the program notes where he's specular where the author is speculating about what this means and what is the agenda, et cetera. The latest headline that I have in a story from today is that Bannon is going to be interviewed by investigators working for the special counsel in the Russia investigation instead of testifying before the grand jury. We'll go ahead and keep watching this space is there going to be anything more than a nothing burger albeit a spicy nothing burger come out of this who knows we'll watch we'll watch this story everybody i'm out of time and you can hear my voice is not the best so it's just going to get more squeaky as time goes on so it's probably just as good that i go ahead and, and cut it off here one more thing in the program notes i wanted you to check out um is a song. It's a song from the Cranberries. Dolores O'Riordan, the lead singer of the Cranberries. I don't know what the cause of death was, but at 46 this week, she died. So that was very sad. Went ahead and put that little musical selection there for you. 
So everyone, thank you. Thanks for tuning in over at Facebook and over at Blog Talk. I'm going to try to fix the streaming for YouTube. YouTube may not let me do it, though. They said I'm not authorized to stream or something. Maybe I don't have a big enough audience at YouTube to stream yet. You want to help me by following my uh, Don't Let It Go account on YouTube. That's fine. And I'm going to keep working to get the audio fixed for next week so we'll have an interview. Every Wednesday I'm here from 3 p.m. Eastern Time, usually until 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time today, a little shorter. That's 12 p.m. Pacific. So thanks, everyone. Take care. I'm going to go ahead and cut off Blog Talk first, and then I'll cut off Facebook Live ending episode. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 